0: Oh, good morning. Okay, I'll try again. Good morning. good morning. All right, there we go. Yeah. Uh, I was I was determined that I wasn't going to share this story this morning because I shared a lot of places, but I, I just have to. I have to. In in Burkina Faso, I get the chance to preach in some of our local churches, and their their pattern is not to be responsive in church. You know, In the French system, questions are often rhetorical, so they don't expect you to respond. And so when I get up and preach and I ask a question, I, I want some feedback. And so one of the last Sunday mornings that we were at, at our church in Burkina Faso, the, the pastor allowed me to have the chance to, to bring the message that morning. So I started out and they knew me. They knew that I wanted response when I asked a question. This is nothing new. I've been with these people for four years now at this point. So I thought I'll start them off with an easy one. You guys play softball. All right. Okay, a couple of hands. Here, we're going to aim for hands here this morning. Right. You know, I know that you know, it doesn't have Baptist on the sign, and so but some of you may know that you're Baptist, and so you're keeping your hands kind of down here because, you know, ba- Baptists don't, don't do that, you know. So hey, you guys play softball. All right. So, you know, slow pitch, right? You know, it's underhand like that. And it's not this thing, you know. So I thought I'll give them a slow pitch. We'll start him off easy. And I asked this question. If, if I ask a question, do I want a response? And there was silence in the church. <laughs> Now, through about five different times of asking that question, encouraging it little by little, we finally got to the point that when I asked the question the fifth time, we actually did have a, a pretty full response from the congregation. So I'll, I'll start with a softball, you know, this morning. We'll do so pitch for the first one. If I ask a question, would I like a response? Yes. Good job. Okay, now let's get back to the good morning here. I'll even start down here again. Good morning. Way to go, guys. See, it's going to be a good morning. It is a pleasure to be able to come and share with you guys. Like John said, we first met your church a long time ago, and I had a lot more hair, both in terms of the number of follicles producing and in length, you know, and and both of those have abandoned me. And so... Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. I'll just take John's word for it on weight and all that. But, you know, it is true about the hair. It, there was both more numerous and much longer, but that's gone. Uh, it has been a pleasure to meet up with teams that you guys send out to Niger over these years and, and just kind of neat that even when we would just be going back to Niger to visit friends, that we would not only see our Nigerian friends, but we would see friends from Crossway Church as well. So God has put our paths to cross one another multiple times. And we're actually in the middle of this huge road trip that at some point in time I thought was going to be a great idea. Um, but like 3,000 miles later, I'm kind of wondering, and my wife has already been wondering for a long time if it was such a great idea. We started out in Oklahoma and made our way down around the bottom, hit a whole bunch of those states, you know, Tennessee, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, hung out there for a little while, South, you know, Carolina, North Carolina, on up the coast, literally every state up the coast. We skipped Delaware cuz I don't know why anyone would ever want to go to Delaware. Um plus no roads actually go to Delaware. Have you guys been to Delaware? Okay. Hey, we got one. So somebody found a road into Delaware at some point. I don't know how that happened, but somebody found a road into Delaware. Um, and then, you know, up New York city, seeing lots of friends, having chance to speak in different churches. And so as we were on our way back around the top side, it was like, Hey, we could go to Michigan. We've got friends in Michigan. We see them all the time. (laughs) And so called up John and Jason and said, Hey guys, can we come and stay? And so they were willing to let us come and stay. And and John asked if I would mind sharing the word with you this morning and having a chance to share in Sunday school. And that was, that was a real privilege because we get to see some of you over on that side of the ocean. But to be able to fellowship with the rest of this body, that has meant a lot to us and been encouraging to us when we're over there. To be able to come back and hopefully uh, bring a word of encouragement to you guys this morning. And to be able to just share a little bit of life with you for a couple of days. That's, it's a real pleasure. And so I appreciate that. Something you may or may not know is that we're your missionaries. Uh, your church is part of sending out missionaries all over the world. We have around 5,000 that you have sent out to reach people all over the world, who have never had a chance to hear the Jesus of the Gospels before. And so we went to the Jula people group, like John shared. It's a people group of about 1.5 million. And when you track how many of those are true believers, evangelical Christians, right now we call it 0.0001%. All right if we, you know, took this group, I don't, I haven't counted exactly how many people are here today, but like, let's say we have a hundred people here this morning. All right. That would be out of this hundred people, this much of somebody's finger is a Christian. All right. You see that it's, it's not even to the point where one out of a hundred would be a believer. It's like this much of somebody's finger is a believer in this people group that spans three countries. And there are lots more people groups in that area that don't have anybody who are charged with going and sharing the gospel with them. And so you guys are a part of taking the gospel, quite literally, to people who have never heard it before. I want to share a story with you. This is about a guy that we'll call Adam. This is a true story, one that I know from my life. So a people group in western Burkina Faso. And nobody had ever gone to share the gospel with them. Their people group also crossed some geographic lines, some political boundaries. And so some, some members of their people group in other countries had had a chance to hear the gospel before. But in Burkina Faso, they'd never had the chance to hear the gospel. And they were way out. Ask somebody who's flown to Niger you know, if that's a real easy trip, you know, it just takes a couple of hours. You just jump on the plane, you get off all refreshed and ready to go. That, that's the testimony you guys get when people come back, right? We are so refreshed and Niger is just refreshing, yeah, right? No. So not only does it take 30 hours just to take the plane from somewhere in the States to Burkina Faso. Then you've got a five-hour bus ride, which is basically a plane all over again. You know, your coach crammed together with a bunch of other people and maybe an AC that sort of works. Cram going down the road, and that's five hours on this bus. And then when you get to where you're going, which is our town, from this five-hour bus ride, then you've got another four hours by car to a place that should only take you an hour max. Max. But because of road situations, you're bouncing and crawling. And if you get stuck behind any sort of large vehicle trying to go down those same roads, you're just watching the clock tick by. And eventually, if you persevere to go down those roads and to put up with all the shaking that your body is enduring to get out to these places, you'll find the Bolon people. When you find the Bolon people... A church very similar to yours decided they would head out there and see what these people were like. And so they made that trek. Three people in this little truck bouncing out down the roads, already tired from the journey that came before. And they came out to these villages and they just started asking as they went, village by village, are there any Bolone that live here? No, no, we don't know any Bolone. Continue on down the road are there any Bolon that live here? Yeah, you're good. They keep working their way down the road a little bit and eventually they ask, are there any Bolon here? Good, good answer. Yes. Yeah, that's actually what this village is. This is Bolon territory. And so they say, we've been praying for the Bolon for a long time and we'd like to come and just share life with you for a little bit. And so they go and meet the chief, and the chief says, fine. They bring out their camping gear, and they kind of set up in a place that the chief allows them to set up. And they go around and learn some about life among the Bolong. And it doesn't take long before people start asking, what brings you here? They say, I'm glad you asked. There's one guy named Adam specifically. He saw this group of white people come into town, and so... He came up, and when he saw that they had kind of sat down, he just came and sat down, put his hands under his chin, and asked, so what is it that brings you here? And this group, through a translator, are able to share. We came here because we've been praying for the Bolon, and we know that God loves everyone, and that He wants Everybody, no matter how far away they are or how hard to get to their villages are, to know about the love that he showed them through his son Jesus. Do you mind if we share some stories with you about that? Adam had time? Sure. And as they start to share, Adam tells them, This is the story I've been waiting to hear. This is the Savior I want to follow. And on that first day, out in a Bolon village, way out in the middle of nowhere, Burkina Faso, the first Bolon believer that we know of in Burkina Faso came to Christ. God works that way. God doesn't always work that way, as you guys well know. There are lots of people all over the place that just need an opportunity to hear. And we see that sort of thing happen sometimes. And the people will say, yeah, next time you come back, I would love to learn more. One of the most encouraging things about Adam is that he decided, you know what? This Jesus, I need to know about Him. And so He's actually made the decision every time He has enough means, every time He has the money to do it, He comes back into our town to find the believers that came along with that church, the believers that they took out to the bush with them. He brings the bush taxis in, makes that trip into town to come and find those people so they can continue to disciple him so that he can continue to grow. He was so hungry for it. It's worth it to him to spend any money he has to learn more and to become closer to his Savior. That's an awesome story in and of itself. And like I said, I'm, I'm blessed to be able to work in a place that I can hear those stories myself that I can know they are true because it's in my experience. But like I also said, not every story ends that way. Do you guys know what people group you work among in Niger? Anybody? Okay, so there was a little bit of a response there. I'll give you just a second. Those who know, go ahead and make sure everybody around you knows, and then I'll ask the question again in just a moment. All right, we'll give you a little, you know, Jeopardy theme song. Okay, is everybody told everybody? I'm not going to go all the way through the theme song. You're not here to listen to me sing, which is a good thing. Jason did a great job this morning. Me, not so much. All right, so what people group do you work among? Okay, you know, on see, you ruined me with your good morning, because that good morning was like hearty, you know, it was from here. You know, people were like... Down in here, good morning, you know. So now I'm kind of getting a Toreg, and that's just true. There's a lot of people saying it, but it's not that same heartiness. Let's try it again. What people group do you work among? Toreg. Way egg. to go, guys. Yeah, the Toreg. One of the reasons you work among the Toreg is because they don't see that story much. It's a people group that has been traditionally resistant to the gospel for a long time, very similar to the Jula. Who hear the gospel and for many different reasons decide, you know what, that's, that's just not for me right now. Some people are even willing to say, you know what, I, I believe that what you're saying is the truth, but I cannot accept it right now. And that's true for cultural reasons to them. It's true for social reasons. They're afraid of persecution. They're afraid of being kicked out of their families, and that happens. I'll tell you a story from Niger, a friend of mine that we'll call Abdu. We'll call him Abdu, who, when he started hanging out with us, this is true from my own personal experience, when he started hanging out with us and listening to the gospel, he was warned those are Christians. Now, everybody was friendly to us. You know, don't, don't think that this means that people were against us. Everybody was friendly to us. They loved having us in their village. When he started hanging out with us, people came up to him and said, those are Christians. Do not become a Christian. He kept hanging out with us, kept listening to the stories, got a little more serious about his faith, started talking about it a little bit to others. He hadn't declared outwardly that he was a Christian at this point, but was just talking to other people about what he was learning. And his uncles came back to him and said, listen, do not become a Christian. Eventually he decides, you know what, this is this is worth it. I mean, I know I've been told not to, bad stuff's probably going to happen, but it's worth it. And so he chose to be outward in his decision to follow Christ. And nothing happened right then. A little ways down the road, he decides it's time to be baptized. And when he made that decision, his uncles come back together. A couple of them hold him, beat him up a little bit, but not too bad. What they do is bring all of his children in front of him. And beat his children in front of him. And tell them, this is what's happening to your father because he's deciding to follow Christ. Do not become a Christian. They take his farms away from him. They take his family away from him. And he's left with nothing. That year, things kind of calmed down a little bit after that. He's able to appeal for food to us and to some other people. Again, his farms were taken away from him. He had no way to support himself. The following year, he's given some land again by a believer, another believer from a different town who happened to own some land out in that area. He's given some land to start farming again. And that next year, when harvest time came, most people around got hardly anything out of their farms. But for some reason, I I think I know the reason, for some reason, Abdu's farm produced great, way more than he needed for his family. And he was actually able to share in his harvest with his uncles and his family, the very ones who had come, beaten him, beaten his children, and taken his family away from him. In that situation, he was able to show the love of Christ to other people and opened doors to the gospel that I don't know that our witness ever would have opened. But it came through trial and through hardship. I'd like to share another story with you. This one is also true. I know it's true because it comes from God's word. There was a very religious man once. He did everything he possibly could to follow God's way. He would even go so far as to be the kind of guy that would mock, insult, and even injure other people who didn't follow what he understood as God's way. But God had plans for this guy. One day, through a great blinding vision, the guy was brought around to Jesus. Now, he thought he was following God's way, but he was brought around to Jesus' way. And through that experience, he actually became one of the great leaders of the Jesus path, what we would call Christianity. Christianity. And you would think that this guy, through this experience, would have a lot of friends because all of a sudden everybody's like, wow, this guy's awesome. It didn't really work out that way. At first, as a matter of fact, everybody's like afraid of him. The old friends that he had when he was persecuting those who were following Jesus' way, now that he started following Jesus' way, they completely rejected him. matter of fact, they were always making threats against him. And the people who also followed Jesus' way... They were scared of him. They didn't want anything to do with him. And so he's kind of stuck out there on his own for a long time. But eventually he begins gaining acceptance and something awesome happens. He goes out to a little place called Antioch. And there they decide that they're going to send him out as a missionary. Awesome. He's been sent by God and by His church to be a missionary. So life is going to be wonderful, right? Because that's what God does, right? When you choose to follow Jesus, when you choose to follow the Jesus way, life is wonderful, right? All of a sudden, all of your problems are taken care of. Well, that wasn't His experience. The first place He goes... Those from his old belief system decided, wait, we don't like this. And so they start stirring up as many people as they can against him and run him out of town. says, okay, so dust off your feet. Let's head on to the next place. They head on to the next town. Guess who follows him? People from the last place. They're like, dude, no, it's not just get out of our town. It's like disappear. They follow him and then they start stirring up people in this new place as well. And he finds out, oh, these folks are trying to kill me. And he learns that they're planning on picking up big rocks and bashing his brains out with rocks. And so, because he figured that out, he and his group, they go ahead and head on to the next place. That would be our response too, right? For the most part, if you figure out, hey, all the people here are going to get rocks and they're going to bash my brains out with the rocks, uh, what would our response be? Yeah, generally we're going to head somewhere else. And so that was his response. He heads somewhere else. And we learn that there, even though the people don't like him, he stays there a long time. Even in the midst of a lot of people not liking him, he stays there a long time and is able to share with the people of that town. And part of the way that he handles all of this bad stuff happening to him, the way he handles that is part of how other people see his witness and choose to follow Jesus way in that area eventually he needs to move on to another town and in this next place where he goes he doesn't find out that they're trying to kill him until it's actually happening they drag him out of town bash him beat him with rocks until they say he's dead and when they say This guy's dead. They leave him. After they leave, other believers, those who follow the Jesus way, they come, they gather around him. And we don't get to find out exactly what happens. He was just left for dead. When the believers gather around him, he stands up and travels on by foot to another town the very next day. That sounds miraculous to me. I mean, if I'm dead and everybody thinks I'm dead and my brains are, you know, out from rocks hitting me in the head, I would say getting up the next day and traveling on by foot to another town sounds pretty miraculous. We don't know exactly what happens, but we do know that the believers gather around him and then he gets up and then is ready to travel the very next day. I want you to hear his words at that moment. It says that he goes on encouraging the believers, those others who are on the Jesus way, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Now, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. The story that I've just told, again, we know it's true because it comes from God's word and you can find it in the book of Acts. If you look in chapter 13 of the book of Acts, don't do it right now because you're going to 2 Timothy 3, but next time you're looking at the book of Acts, if you look at chapter 13, you'll find... Paul getting summoned into Antioch and his sending out as a missionary. And you find in chapter 14, him getting left for dead. And then after he's been left for dead, then making his way back to Antioch, basically back home. So if you look, you'll see that the story that I've told is true. It comes from God's word. But we're going to go to 2 Timothy chapter 3 this morning. Paul, whose story we've been telling... He's writing this book to a young man that he took under his arm and mentored as after this beating experience, after being left for dead, as he went back out into the mission field. Alright, right. So wait, let's recap the early part of this mission story real quick. Nobody likes you. Because you used to persecute those who follow the Jesus way. And other people don't like you because now you're following the Jesus way. So really nobody likes you. And then when God calls you to be a missionary and sends you out, it starts by people wanting to kill you and chasing you out of town. And then they follow you to another town and chase you out of that town. And then you figure out that they're going to bash your brains out with rocks so you run away. And then you're able to stay there for a little while but have to leave that place too. And then they really do bash your brains out with rocks. Go back home, recoup for just a little bit, and then you head out again. Alright, so you guys following? This is Paul's life up to this point. Alright, that sounds awesome, right? Everybody's like, yeah, let's do that, you know. <laughs> sounds great, right? That's what we all dream of doing. Paul is writing about this experience to a young man that he took under his arm when he went back out this next time. A man named Timothy. And so he's writing to Timothy later just to encourage him. And I want us to see what he says as he writes to Timothy. I'm going to ask you guys to stand with me, please. If you're in 2 Timothy chapter 3, stand with me as we read God's word. I'm going to start in verse 10. You, however, again, he's speaking to Timothy. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. My persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, where he got his brains beat out. Which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture, he just talked about the sacred writings, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God, that would be believers, not just men, that believers, the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. I charge you, we're going into chapter four, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, And by his appearing and his kingdom, I charge you by all of that, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Let's pray. God, obviously, we don't want to live a life like Paul lived. It sounds glamorous. Those of us who know about Paul and know how much of the Bible he wrote, it just sounds awesome and we'd love to be that kind of person of faith. But when we hear what he had to endure, what life was like for him, none of us desire that for ourselves or for anyone else. But God, your word clearly tells us that having those hard times, those trials and those tribulations It's part of it. God, I ask this morning, would you help all of us, each and every one of us, to understand what your son Jesus did for us, who we are through our faith in him, and then help us to live a godly life, not just in spite of persecutions, but God, that you help us to be strong and live even stronger in faith when those times do come. Help us to be obedient to your word. We pray it all in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, you guys can be seated. We heard it when he was going through it. Right after he gets up off the ground from his brains being beat out by rocks, We hear it. He says, this is going to come. These kind of trials are going to happen. And then again, when he's reflecting on his life and writing to his protege, to someone that he has mentored and spent life with, later on down the road, as he's reflecting and writing back to it, he says it again. It's verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Paul tells us this is a part of life. Now, there are a lot of folks in the United States Christianity. I'm not going to single out any one group here. But among those in the United States that call themselves Christians, there are a lot who say... When people tell you to stop talking about your faith, you know, if you're trying to share and somebody just says, shut up. They'll say, I've been persecuted. I mean, that's kind of humorous, right? We look at it. We've just talked about Paul's life and then somebody got told to shut up. So they're like, I've been persecuted. It sounds kind of humorous to us in this context, but we've all felt that way. We've all been in a place where our culture has been against us. And while I don't think that being told to be quiet and to stop talking is what Paul is talking about when he's saying we're going to be persecuted, I don't think that's really what he means at this point. We are living in a situation that he's telling us about. Do you guys know that the Bible is true? All right here we'll ask that one again, and we're going for audible responses. Um, did you know that the Bible's true? Yes. Good. Bible is the Word of God, and one of the things that makes it so amazing is that even though it's written in a very specific time and culture, it passes all of that, and the truth that we find inside of it is true not just for that time but also for all of time you may have noticed if you've read through much of the bible yourself that it, it starts with this one story anybody know what the the starting story of the bible is about creation, creation? okay so like the, the bible kind of starts with the beginning of everything matter of fact can anybody tell me like the first three words of the bible okay yeah let's try that one more time can anybody tell me the first three words of the bible Good job. Yeah, so the Bible starts with the beginning. You know, like the the very beginning. Not like the beginning of, you know, me or the beginning of you. But like the very beginning of everything. The Bible starts with that. And it starts with God. That's the beginning. And then... How about the, the ending story? We kind of have this cool ending story at the other end of it. You know, can somebody hold up their Bible for me? It's okay to have a lot of people hold up their Bibles, but I'd rather have more volunteers than none. All right, so, you know, you hold up your Bible, and you've got one cover that you kind of start at, and then another cover that you kind of end with, you know, on the other side of it, and there's usually some maps and that kind of thing right before that. But if you actually go to the last part of the story, can somebody tell me what that story is called? Revelation, good. And it's about what? The end. There you go. So the Bible starts with the beginning and it ends with the end. And we're not like at the end yet because we're all still here, you know? So that means that in that middle, it's still encompassing everything that we're experiencing right now. And so these words that we get from Paul, it's not just for Timothy. And it's not just for that time, it's also for us. It encompasses our experience today. And so what I think Paul is doing here, and what I think God is doing here, even more importantly, is giving us an encouraging model. Now hopefully the first thing you think is, that sounds nuts, I do not want to be had my brains bashed out by rocks and all that. He's giving us an encouraging model because if the Bible didn't have these kinds of stories about all the mess that Paul went through, if we didn't have these words that believers will be persecuted, you will have trials and hard times. If we didn't have those words and everything that we saw in the Bible was beautiful and rosy, and then if you go through some hard times in your life, you're going to be thinking, dude, I'm, something is wrong. I am messed up or my situation's messed up or I'm doing something wrong. And then when the Bible tells us if you're doing it right, if you're going to try and live a godly life in this world, you will be persecuted. Guess what? That means when you're going through those times and you're able to do this, okay, it, I've asked for forgiveness for sin. It's not that. It's, it's not a me sin thing right now and you've checked that off then if bad stuff is happening it's part of the christian experience it's part of you living a godly life and here's why that's important there's a number of reasons why that's important but the one i want to speak to today you guys are a church that god has called to reach out across cultures To reach out across political boundaries. God has called you guys to go literally to the ends of the world. And he hasn't just called you to do that because scripture tells you that you have to. You guys have personally responded to God's call to take the gospel to the ends of the world. And you're doing it by going to who? Oh, man, I thought, you know, it's like they're ready for it. And so just first time we're going to nail it. All right, I'll do it again. You've personally responded to it by going to Tori. Good job. You've personally responded to that call to go to the ends of the earth. When you, being the light bearers and the truth bearers that God's word tells you you are, When you, as those truth bearers, go to the Tuareg and they, in their situation, are afraid. Rightly so. Persecution is going to come on them and fast. When they, in their situation, are concerned for themselves and for their families. I don't know many of us who can speak... A word of encouragement that comes from personal experience into that situation. Some of you guys may have been kicked out of your houses. Some of you guys may have had everything taken away from you when you chose to follow Jesus Christ. There aren't many of us who have that kind of word. But you know what? God's word speaks to their situation. God's word speaks to them right where they're at. And you have that message to bring. You know, right now, it's really hard to get to the Tuareg. They're in a bunch of different countries, and pretty much every country they're in is banned to fly into. Right, I don't know if you guys have been checking on that much, but like Niger, yeah, you can't go there. Mali, yeah, you don't go there. Even in northern Burkina, you don't go there. You can get into Ouagadougou, but you don't go into northern Burkina. All right, so pretty much everywhere the Tuareg are right now, is a no-fly zone. They're hard to get to. And even more so right now. It's part of the reason why it's so amazing that you guys have been intentionally taking God's word to them. And it's also important that we see what Paul's instruction is in the middle of hard times. I want us to look at that. We're back in 2 Timothy 3 and 4. First... When he tells Timothy that you're going to be persecuted. All right? Anybody wanting to live a godly life in this world is going to be persecuted. He sets the stage with that. And then he encourages them with scripture. He says, you already know this. You were raised up on scripture. All right, For us, I don't know if you guys were raised up on scripture or not. But my challenge to you would be, read the Bible. My challenge to me is, read the Bible. I have four kids. All right? They are nine, seven, five, and three. Anybody have four kids? All right. Yeah. Anybody have like a whole bunch of young children? Let me ask you a quick question. A lot of time, it doesn't take four. Like you have one, you know, one is usually enough to completely just abolish any chance of quiet time that you have, study time, you know. So if anybody is in the situation of having, oh, children, of having, say, a job, you know that that time to just study the word, it goes away real quick. And so it's not just a challenge to you, it's a challenge to me as well. He said that Timothy knew the word, and that's a challenge to us as well, whether we grew up with it or not, to know the word. That's where he starts. And he says that the scripture is useful. And he gives him this whole list of great stuff. He says, all of it is read out by God. We're in verse 16 of chapter 3. And you guys know this verse. It's profitable for teaching and for reproof, for correction, for training up in righteousness. And it's all of those things with a purpose that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. So that's the foundation Some people will try and take that and make that a charge. Like we have been charged to go and do these things. What Paul's saying is this is what scripture does for us. Not only is it useful for all of these things, it's useful for all that stuff so that we become competent. Alright? right. And then in chapter four is when we get the charge. Matter of fact, in the ESV, at least, what's the second word? There in chapter four, charge. <laughs> I charge, you know, so when we're talking about here comes the, the command, yeah, it, it gets pretty easy to find because he says, I charge you, and all of a sudden we get a whole lot of verbs, all right, that's usually a pretty good clue, you know, we'll go through a slight hermeneutics class, I, I hear that Pastor John does a, a, a teaching or a preaching boot camp, you know, Jason was saying he's kind of been through that, other folks been through that, yeah. Alright. So, you know, it's one of those pretty easy things if you're looking for what God is telling you to do. Then if you have a, you know, something like, I charge you, and then a whole bunch of verbs that come right after that, it's a pretty good clue that this is stuff that God is telling you to do. So, look at chapter 4. I charge you in the presence of God. We're not going to go through all the reasons why it charges again. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. I want to stop there for just a second because we like reprove, rebuke, and exhort. We don't like use those words. How many of you guys have used one of those words in the last week? Anybody? I mean, I was studying it and I still didn't say it out loud, you know, so, (laughs) you know, even I who've been reading this passage didn't say the words out loud. We don't use those kind of words anymore. What is it talking about? It's the different sides of teaching, right? those of you who are teachers and those of you who have children or those of you who have ever tried to mentor somebody else, you know that teaching is multifaceted. It involves training out of bad habits or of wrong understanding and training into right habits and right understanding. Everybody following me on that one? You got to get out of the bad and into the good. You know, kind of like choosing to follow Jesus. It usually starts with repent. You know, get out of the bad and God will bring you into the right. All right. We got to repent of sin and then God's righteousness will be evident on us. Get rid of the bad, come into the good. That's really what that's talking about. Using scripture to do those things. Reprove, reprove, wow. Reprove, rebuke and exhort with complete patience And teaching. Here's the what to do. This is important. Not just for us as we're amongst one another. Not just as we're out in our communities. But also as you guys take up that call. To go to the ends of the earth. To tell the people who have never heard before. As you take on that call. You're sent out. With a faith That scripture is true, breathed out by God. And then, with an understanding that your job is now using that, take out the bad, bring in the good. And as you do that with patience and teaching, have patience, let me say that. Have patience. The Touareg may not be like Adam, who heard it and knew that was the story he needed. They may require years of patience. Please, have patience. And persevere. Have patience and teach. And teach them what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Teach them that persecution is going to come. But that is part of the Christian experience. And guess what? The Bible is preparing you for that. Matter of fact, it tells us over and over again. It's going to happen. Here is your encouragement in God when that happens. I ask you. Beseech you. I'll keep using big words that nobody uses anywhere. I beseech you. Have that patience. Have that trust on scripture and let that be what leads you and guides you as God directs each and every one of you individually and as a church to take the gospel throughout the world and to the ends of the world. All right, thank you guys. John.